the Monday Rewind. Gorlis on off the ball between Southampton and Liverpool. Coutinho, 25 yards! Oh! What a goal from Billy Coutinho! 30 yards out, right-footed, top corner of the net. At the moment, I fancy Chelsea because of what has happened to City, but I would never put City out of the equation because I knew these players were coming back from injury, sorry, to get fit, and then once they get fit, then that's when you've got to judge them as a team. I let you decide on that, I don't want to talk about referees, as you know yourselves, so, I mean, obviously it had a huge bearing in the game. I know it was nobody hurt, that's all I know, and um, I don't know why he was sent off. There's no point having excuses. We were poor tonight, we weren't good enough tonight, and um, we're certainly going to have to address that in a big way. It's not going to be this fantastic game on the on the eye against England. It never is. It's an arm wrestle against England. They're they're really you know closely fought contests against England last year. One try apiece. More often than not, if we have beaten England, it's by one score. This is the rewind on News Talk, and in there you heard Nathan Murphy describing Coutinho's wonder goal in Liverpool's 2-0 win at Southampton. While ex-Liverpool midfielder Ray Houghton talked about why he thinks Chelsea are still the team to beat. We have more from Houghton on the weekend at large soon. You also heard from Kilkenny manager Brian Cody on their defeat to Dublin and ex-Ireland centre Brian O'Driscoll on Sunday's clash with England and how he expects it to be tight. You can hear more from O'Driscoll on Off The Ball every Friday with this week he's guest presenter at an awesome Off The Ball outside broadcast at the Mansion House. Neil Back, Keith Wood, Mick Galway and Kevin Maggs are among the other guests there on Wednesday night. Coming up today, we've got former Lions Shane Byrne and Martin Corry previewing the game, as well as the Legends match in Donnybrook this Saturday night. In hurling, we hear from Brian Cody, Jer Cunningham, Eamon O'Shea, Anthony Cunningham, Jimmy Barry Murphy, Davy Fitzgerald and TJ Ryan. After a busy weekend, while in football, Aaron Kernan talks to us about swapping with David Bentley, the GAA calendar and why it needs to change, and the upcoming All-Ireland Club final between Currafin and Schlock Neal. I'm Richie McCormick and I'm linking it all together today like the rug in the Big Lebowski, because regular presenter Russian Langan sounds like this. Good afternoon, Richie. I'd like to thank you for filling in for me. I appreciate that uh, this afternoon I send like the Simpsons character, the teenage one, you know, the one whose voice keeps cracking up and breaking. Nelson Muntz? No, the other lad. Oh, the guy who works in the fast food outlet. Yes, yes. Oh, right. A bit of Jessica Rabbit maybe as well? No, definitely I don't not. have her appeal? Uh, zero. Okay, no, well no. that's why you're going Some ahead of the curves, but none of the appeal. Oh, well, that'll do. Anyway, off you go. Thank you. First, though, it is the Premier League, and yesterday Ray Houghton was part of the off-the-ball commentary team that watched Liverpool win 2-0 at Southampton. After the game, Nathan Murphy spoke with Houghton about the weekend at large, but first, if the Saints should have had a penalty or two. Yeah, I mean, it was a great start to the the match. I mean, Church went through. Uh, there was a coming together between himself and Emery Chan. Uh, the refereeing assistant deemed it wasn't a foul. And then from that, Liverpool went, virtually went the length of the field. Markovic with a ball into Coutinho. No one from Southampton came to close him down. They thought he was too far out, but he took the shot on for about 25 yards or so. It hit the underside of the crossbar. Fraser Foster, the Southampton keeper, had no chance of getting anywhere near it. And you were thinking Liverpool, 1-0 up, they were going to control the game. So literally 30 seconds later, there was another ball played downfield. Uh, Skirto and Emery Chan went up with Pella. Pella flicked the ball on. Churchich was through. Joe Allen came in with a challenge, got nowhere near the ball in the penalty area. Looked from out. Uh, area of the field a definite penalty referee Kevin Friend said no once again and I've got to say I thought at that stage Southampton were harshly treated I thought the second was a definite penalty there was lots of incidents as far as penalties uh, manually coming out his goal did he handle it outside the box the assistant wasn't in a good position to see it I just think the officials might have got one or two decisions wrong but the difference was Southampton didn't have that quality in the final third you know they huffed and they puffed 
They played some decent football, they got into good areas, but the final ball win wasn't quite a good enough standard. The ball didn't find Kingley enough when it was inside the box, probably didn't get enough men forward to finish off the moves, and Liverpool seen the danger off. And eventually in the second half, Liverpool got the second goal, huge mistake by Matty Target, playing the ball into the path of Raheem Sterling, and he finished it off very well. Liverpool, as an away performance, will be happy enough, it was a decent win for them. It wasn't a great performance, but it was a solid performance, and that's what you want on occasions, and it was a massive three points for them. Yeah, they played some great football over the last few months, Liverpool, but this was a very different kind of performance. They're in the midst of a really tough run of games, they're coming thick and fast, and without playing brilliantly, they still managed to beat one of their main rivals for the top four. Yeah, well, that's the sign of a decent team. You know, you're not always going to play brilliant football. Because sometimes, you know, the opposition don't allow you to play. I mean, they're there to try and put you off and make sure you don't get the freedom of the park. And I think that was the case with Southampton. Uh, you know, they, they, they shut up areas for Liverpool. They, they couldn't really get Sterling into the game. Coutinho was trying hard to make things happen. And then there was a couple of Southampton players coming back to the role, uh, ex-Southampton players, should I say, coming back to the role club in Lovren and Lalana, and they looked edgy, they looked very nervous and really didn't get into the game. Lovren improved as the game went on, but Lalana, to me, was rather subdued today. It was as if he didn't really want to be out there. That's where the, the, what he sort of gave off during the course of the game. Uh, but Liverpool just always had that edge in the final third. third. They always had looked like they had people that could create an opportunity or score your goal. Unfortunately, Southampton didn't have that, we, particularly with Pella, once again, who disappointed today. Uh, you, they brought on Manny who looked lively when he came on Churchich looked lively at the start of the game but as the first half wore on their influence on the game just uh, wasn't quite there You were at Selhurst Park yesterday for Arsenal's win over Crystal Palace by the sounds of what you've been saying it was actually a, quite a similar performance by Arsenal no, abs Absolutely, no question it was a similar performance You know, I mean I was not critical, I just said that Arsenal didn't play very well going forward, which is usually unusual for them because you know, some of the football they've played recently has been absolutely sublime. But they didn't do that yesterday. So what did they do? They, they made sure they defended well. Koscielny and uh, Mertesacker were brilliant. The two centre-halves won every cross that came in. I mean, so that, they listen, sorry, Crystal Palace had 51 crosses into the, into, into the box yesterday. Not all of them were very good, to be honest, but defended very well from the two centre-halves. And... That was their performance yesterday. Workmanlike, got numbers behind the ball, frustrated Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace were a bit like Southampton, wasteful in the final third. Didn't get enough quality into the box, never really pressurised Arsenal for the position that they had. And then Arsenal were clinical at the other end of the field. Cazola with a penalty, never looked like he was going to miss. And then the goal from uh, Oliver Giroud when Welbeck got in, hit the shot, Spironi spilt it. And he was on hand to finish it off. So it's two similar performances from two teams who, you know, trying to get into the top four. Yeah, and Arsenal are third now, but just four points ahead of Spurs, who are in seventh. But looking at the top, five points now between Chelsea and Manchester City. Chelsea held to that one-all draw by Burnley after Matic was sent off following the horror tackle. But then Manchester City going and winning 5-0 against Newcastle. And it's somewhat reminiscent to last season, where... Manchester City for long periods of the season haven't played particularly well, haven't looked overly interested, and then they just start to click. Is it, could that be what we're seeing again here? No, I think it's a little bit different this time, and I'll tell you why. This is how I see it. And people were, you know, saying about uh, Manchester City, you know, they've been very inconsistent. But Aguero's come back from injury; he was out for a while. David Silva was out for quite a while. 
Vincent Company was out for quite a while. So these are key players to how Manchester City play. Then Yaya Touri goes off to the African Cup of Nations where he wins it for his country, the Ivory Coast. So now he's come back. They, in the meantime, have had to play games and got fitter and fitter and fitter. And now what we're seeing is the true Manchester City. You know, they're, not, they're, they're a very good side. They all know each other's game. Uh, they've now got Wilfred Boney, another option up front to score them the goals. So they've got a good squad to choose from. And it, at the moment, I fancy Chelsea because of what has happened to City. But I would never put City out of the equation because I knew these players were coming back from fitness, uh, from injury, sorry, to get fit. And then once they get fit, then that's when you've got to judge them as a team. Yeah, I guess they're up against a far stronger Chelsea this season as well. And Liverpool obviously aren't involved in the title race this season. But Chelsea, yesterday, I, I, like, Matic had to be sent off. But it was such a terrible challenge. But this just kind of feeds into the Mourinho paranoia. And this is, you kind of sense, what's going to drive Chelsea for the rest of the season. Well, listen, in many respects, it might drive Chelsea on. You're quite right. Because um, it... Manchester United, Sir Alex used to always use that one. It's them against us. It's everyone against us. You know, no one wants us to win it. And I think Mourinho's taking a similar stance to Sir Alex all them years ago. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, you've got to work with what you've got and try to get the best out of your players and try to drive them on in any way that you can to get the best out of them. And that's what's certainly happening at the moment. That's a game they should have won. I mean, there was two penalty decisions that didn't go their way that should have done. You know, they were one nil up, and you didn't really expect Burnley to get back into the game, but. You know, at the moment, with so many big games coming up for Chelsea, their squad is getting tested. And another thing, I mean, I would put into the equation, similar to Man City, Fabregas was out for a while, coming back to fitness. So, and then Costa was out for three games, suspended. And people say, well, that was a nice rest for him. Yeah, but players would rather play. You know, they want to be in there, when, particularly when your club's doing well, particularly when you've been doing well yourself in the season, you want to be playing and keep that fitness level up, match fitness up. And all of a sudden, he's been out for three games and he's just struggled to get back up to the pace that he was playing at. This is the Rewind on News Talk and that was Ray Houghton on the Premier League weekend. We've got two more live and exclusive matches next Sunday on Off The Wall as Liverpool host Manchester City and Arsenal meet Everton. More football shortly when we talk to Team 33's Raf Diallo about this week's Champions League encounters and in rugby we'll look ahead to Ireland's showdown with England with the help of Shane Byrne and Martin Corry. First though it's Hurling and Dublin are top of Division 1A of the Allianz League following their 25 points to 3-11 victory over Kilkenny at Nolan Park. The Cats had a player sent off in either half with John Joe Farrell sent off in the first half and Joe Ling red carded in the second Danny Sutcliffe was sent off late on for the dubs Kilkenny boss Brian Cody was asked about the first sending off after the game a disadvantage playing with 14 for most of it and 13 for Christmas as well so that made it difficult but um, no look I mean we I suppose we fought out to the finish alright we pegged the bag well enough but um, overall the result couldn't have complained with it the first red card looked looked harsh to a lot of people, you're, 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 you were closer to it than I was. <laughs> I let you decide on that, as I don't talk about referees, as you know yourselves. So, I mean, well, it had a huge bearing on the game. Obviously, it had a huge bearing on the game. All I know is there was nobody hurt, that's all I know. Um, um, I don't know why he was sent off. I don't know why he was sent off, but um, the referee obviously made a decision. After half time, it made no impact in that first 10 minutes after half time. Or? No, we didn't make an impact. At that time. We didn't make an impact at that stage. Like we had a win behind us, and 14 to 15 fairly often, you know. So I mean, it shouldn't have done because no, they didn't. We didn't make an influence at that stage, and um, it was an important phase of the game. 
So Cody wasn't too shaken, but how does Jer Cunningham feel? The Dublin boss has now watched his team beat last year's two All Ireland finalists in their opening two games. Hey, time you coming up to Northern Park. Um, uh, and get a victory is uh, is very pleasing. Um, very happy with a lot of the performance today. Uh, so I suppose the last ten minutes was a bit panicky from the point of view of uh, uh, you know they finished a couple of goals and just made it a bit more tight at the end than what it should have been. But um, you know overall very happy. Yeah, and sometimes that happens you know in games you know where you, like you you know a team loses a player and like they kind of uh, it kind of galvanises them and then the last the second player kind of uh, galvanised them even more like you know what I mean. So it's never easy to come to Kilkenny you know the two you know two, two red cards I suppose made a difference in the game. Um, but again I suppose just to show it. The last quarter of an hour, we still have plenty of work to do. It's something I suppose we've been trying to get the lads to work on in training, like from the point of using the ball properly and you know feel comfortable on the ball and you know distribute it to the best man available. Uh, you know I think we did that in the first 20 minutes of the second half. We were very comfortable on the ball and got some very good scores out of it. But uh, you know kind of lost our shape. But then with the, with the, when the second man was sent off and you know they got a goal and all of a sudden the, the crowd was behind them again and they kept uh, trying to get back into the game. But um, you know it's, I suppose after two league matches and having two wins is very pleasing. In thirdest, Tip were scintillating at times as they beat Galway 218 to 20 points. So Dwyer and Callanan with the goals early in the second half. At one stage, Tip did lead by 10 points, but Galway came back. And if it wasn't for some missed chances, could have won it. Here's Premier Manager Eamon O'Shea, but first goal is Anthony Cunningham. Yeah, disappointed there. I suppose we thought the game was definitely in our in our hands, really, and uh, could have pulled a, a draw out of it there. Looked, you know, it was great fight back in the second half. And uh, great performance, really, in parts. But have been very disappointed with giving away two soft goals. We have to say one from the restart there. The second half can't, that can't happen. And uh, defensively, we played well all day, really, and some fine performances. But uh, you just have to take the improvement points from today and move on. Those two goals aided to a stage in the second half when you were nine down and looked in trouble, but at least came back to within three. And even when you came back to three, there were a number of chances that were spurned. Yeah, two or three bad words, really, and something we, you know, as a young team and young players there, they, they have to, you know, take, I suppose, take the learning point from that is you've got to be more in control when, when you have the ball in, in front of goals and not to, to panic and rush. I thought we panicked a small bit there for five or ten minutes phase, and uh, that can't be, really. I mean, you're going to meet top-class opposition like Tipperary every day and you're going to be down in some matches and you're going to get your chances and when you get your chances you've got to be I suppose cool under pressure you know this type of the year it's, it's going to be helter-skelter but I mean you know it, it shouldn't have gone in in the first place would, would be what I'd say you know um, you know I, I, I don't know really to be honest What pleases you more or what disappoints you more either way as a manager the fact that you went down so far or the fact that you came back and could have won it you had the chances you just didn't execute them I suppose it's Look at the, the, the defence really from midfield back have to put their hand up and say that those two goals can't go in and to be awful honest and up front we've got to say from midfield up that when we get to scoring chances they've got to go over and that's going to present itself either in Torles or in Crow Park or Pierce Stadium wherever you go from, from every match you play and uh, you've just got to get better at those. The wide count, would that be a disappointment or is that something at this time of year you can kind of say, well, well it happens? It's, it shows you're getting a lot of chances and we showed great spirit we're getting all those chances, but uh, it was some of the ways that, you know, were, you know, there wasn't massive pressure on and but we just have to get more clinical. Eamon O'Shea, Tipperary manager, you must be um, delighted with the performance and the result. I'd say delighted is a bit too strong, you know. I think it was a really competitive game, you know, and the two good teams go nip and tuck. And, uh, you know... Another couple of minutes, uh, Galway might have got there, but the two goals after half time probably gave us the cushion, you know. But it was a really committed game. That was an honest game, really honest game. And what particularly pleased you about uh, your performance? Was it the movement of the ball and the offloading of guys running and supporting each other? Maybe we didn't see a whole lot of that last week, but we saw it this week. 
you know, well, you see, in the league, you're going to find ups and downs, you know. You're never going to have that, you're never going to have fluidity you get, you know. We, the amount of hurling we've done is pretty small, to be honest. We, we, we train on Wednesday nights, and, uh, you know, other than that, we're doing just work during the week. And uh, so you get no fluidity. And just please, the second half, we did a bit of hurling for about 10 minutes. And uh, when, we, when we play hurling, we're OK. Yeah, it was very impressive. Ronan Marr and uh, John McGrath impressed. Now, it must be particularly pleasing, and Dennis Marr as well before his injury, it must be particularly pleasing when young lads come in and step up to the mark. Yeah, well, it puts pressure, it puts pressure on everybody in the system, you know, including the management, you know, to, to pick these players, you know, and I'm just delighted for the, the younger players. But, you know, you also saw some good performances on some of the older guys out there as well, you know, and, uh, you know, I thought you want to see a better tackle than Paul Cornman near the end, uh, you know, classic, classic tackle. And, uh, but I just think, think that just on a, on a not a great day for Hurland, I thought the honesty of both teams, the endeavour of both teams, uh, you know, and the master could have gone either way. I just thought it was a really good game. I don't know what it looked like, but to me it was really honest in the sideline. On Saturday night, Cork overcame Clare at Porky Rin with a much improved performance, 124 to 17 points, the final score there. After the game, we got the reaction of Jimmy Barry Murphy, but first Davy Fitzgerald speaking to Clare FM, and the banner boss admits they were flat, but he can't explain why. We haven't trained hard over the last two weeks. We've kind of, we've kind of risked it coming into the game, but... Um, Listen, it's very disappointing. We don't like being beaten by 10 points and certainly it's hard because the lads have trained very hard, you know, so I'm not going to lay a finger of blame on them, you know. It's not acceptable from our point of view to be beaten like that and all I can assure you is if, if we meet again, I promise you that will not happen. I thought we caught pretty well in the first half. Like I thought Conor Ryan did a fantastic job on Conor Lehan and, and in fairness, he's probably one of their best forwards. Um, like... I don't think we were hanging off them enough as they like they were hanging on to our full forward line unreal. I don't think we were doing the same down there and we needed to maybe be a lot tighter than we were on him, but there was ball after ball coming in and top was like, you know, so um listen, I'm just disappointed and puzzled, but that's that's the way it goes, you know. Just disappointed. We're we're a bit off the track of the one, but you have to say Cork tonight compared to I watched Cork last week and tonight there were completely different teams that were, we were here last week. Yeah, yeah. 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 And the Cork team we played tonight were completely different. We were thrilled. I must say, thrilled with the way they played tonight. Couldn't be happier. Well, we obviously looked at the game ourselves and where all mistakes we made and the type of game we were playing. And uh, there was many aspects to last Saturday that we weren't happy with. But again, you're playing Kilkenny and you've got to take it on the chin and learn from it. So um, the players themselves, as I said, were very disappointed and they knew they had to be much improved to be clear at home tonight. And uh, especially when you're playing at home, you want to play a lot better. And uh, we certainly gave that tonight a thought. Created a lot of goal chances tonight. Luke got a great goal. And, uh, you know, we went, I think, three or four points on early in the first half. And I thought that goal gave us a bit of confidence. And uh, our general overall play was much, much better. And some days it goes for this time of year. I've learned that in February that it can be a funny time of the year. But some players don't perform that well this time of the year. But lucky enough, the conditions were good tonight. And uh, just very, very flat last Saturday, we felt. And uh, just much better tonight. This is the Rewind. And soon we'll hear from Shane Byrne and Martin Curry on Ireland against England this weekend in the RBS Six Nations. And we've got Aaron Kernan of football. First, though, in hurling. Limerick collected a first win in their Division 1B campaign in Ballycastle, beating Antrim 23 points to 112. TJ Ryan spoke to Liam Ahern of Limerick's Live 95 FM after that game. Good, good to get a result. It was difficult, conditions were difficult, pitch was difficult, uh, so, and the trip is difficult, Like so great result and very happy. Yeah, I suppose the the concession, the goal just after half time. Um, tell us about the first half. Were you happy enough with it? Or yeah, the breeze was strong. I suppose maybe hit my days maybe before um, the ball was shown in, but it was still pretty strong. Like you could see, conditions were very difficult. Uh, ball got stuck in the mud a good few times as well. Like so, it's very difficult for a referee as well. Like but difficult playing conditions and in fairness to the lads, do you know what I'm their effort and their attitude was excellent. And I can just delighted to get an eight point win. The goal just at the start of the second half did it kind of 
give him ah, a kick yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, sure, of course it did. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure, like he put, he put he put him right in the hunting. Like from our point of view, it was, was going to be difficult, but the lads responded well. We got back on downfield and we got a couple of points straight away and kind of kicked down from there. This is the rewind on News Talk. Remember, whether you're listening via the podcast on the website, iTunes, or SoundCloud, or on the Off the Ball Player, you can contact us at any stage during the week on Monday Rewind at Newstalk.com Rugby now and this Sunday Ireland face England in the RBS Six Nations at a sold out Aviva Stadium we'll hear shortly from off the balls Brian O'Driscoll while Ushin caught up with Shane Byrne and Martin Corrie before all that let's relive some of our best days against our closest and fiercest rivals and first hear from England coach Stuart Lancaster you know you look at them and, and how many games they've won recently the holders of the championship would be Australian South Africa in November two wins at two um quality players, British lines across the field and uh, you know, a real tough ask for us going to Dublin um, to go there and win but uh, you know, we're confident as well we've got a belief growing inside our squad and uh, um, it'll be a great, great weekend Campbell again, taken on by Duggan, McLaughlin, got there by Schlemmer, driving for the line the referee has given the try Ireland for the last, Bradley runs slips on to Galway, they'll not stop him it's Galway, the hero Great catch by Galway. There's Wood, and Wood has scored. Little chip for the massive Horgan. He catches, and he scores. Horgan does it again against England. It's not going to be this fantastic um, game on the on the eye against England. It never is. It's an arm wrestle against England. Other than the Croke Park game, where it was emotion more than anything else that took over that day. Um, they're they're really you know closely fought contests against England last year one try apiece yeah um, more often than not if we have beaten England it's by one score so I I, I think we, people might have to wait for another game and if listen if we're in the same position one game further on where we've won three from three I think Wales might be the game because Wales want to play themselves and so even though they have this hard pressed defence teams that want to go after you know, scores and, and play in an elaborate style tend to be good teams to attack against as well and g- give you that little bit more space. I think they do defend man on man and defend in because I don't know whether um, all of their players and I'm, and, and I'm not singling out individuals all their players are well equipped to be able to make good reads and so they do that out of necessity. With Shane Byrne 41 times capped with Ireland and a former line this weekend Ireland take on England on Sunday uh, at the uh, Aviva Stadium in the RBS Six Nations some are calling this a championship decider we don't know yet if that will be the case it could well turn out to be but for you building up to an England game when you were playing for Ireland was it just different did it have another angle than any other form of test match in any other competition? Yeah, look, there's no doubt about it. There's many a box that you want to tick when you start playing for Ireland. First cap, obviously, very important. First Six Nations, first home game. All those things you want to do. But then when it gets into this is what you're doing, playing against England, obviously, look, we all grew up with, um, you know, them being the big team to beat always. And it's just, it adds a buzz to it. And ironically, you know, in what we're going to be talking about later on, they're the guys who... You go through your whole career wanting to beat them and, uh, you know, hate them so much in comp- competition-wise. They're the guys who you get on with best after the competition, after all the rugby's gone, 
Ironic that I can't quite figure that one out. Well, one of the guys you, you hated before, but now you like is Martin Corey, ex Leicester and uh, 64 times capped by England, like yourself, Shane, a former Lion. Um, Martin, we've talked about building up to play England from the Ireland side. What's it like building up to play uh, Ireland from the England side? I, well, I, I think it's, um, and I think Munch kind of, kind of gets it. And you know, I, I think from the England side, you just know when you, especially. And I think there's there's the England Ireland fixture, but then which is which is special in its own right. But then there's the then there's the Ireland England fixture when you're going over there. And so as soon as you land in Dublin, you get you get treated like you get treated so well, and you know you're just being buttered up for <laughs> for three o'clock on a Saturday when in a switch the whole nation just goes against you. And it's and it's an intensity, I think. And I think Ireland. The way Ireland play, and you can watch video after video of of the way Ireland play, and then when as soon as you, they play against England, there's an intensity which they go up, and the whole crowd then seem to come up with the pitch as well, and they're playing the game as well. It's um, and, I, and I always look at the first 20 minutes whenever you play Ireland. It is just you've got to stop this onslaught because if they get on the front foot from the first 20 minutes when they've just been. You can see them that have just been gearing up for this game for for a year almost, and they just come out and they're just blitzing you. And it's just, right, you need to be able to hold that for the first 20 minutes. If you can't, you're in for a long old afternoon. Has it changed somewhat, Shane, in the sense that we're now a far more consistent team than we used to be? Yes, we've had great victories over England. You, you look back at 93, yeah. 94, in the early 2000s, Keith Wood going over for that try. They were great victories, but they were kind of out of context whereas now if we beat England it would be no surprise and if they beat us it would be no surprise yeah we've definitely caught up we've made the strides and all that and, and you know we are a very good generation of talent at the moment and okay England in the last couple of years maybe have a little ahead of us but we went to a section there where we were beating them regularly but that doesn't take the flavour off it at all. You know, beating England is still something that we want to do. Like, call it whatever, the old enemy or whatever you want to do. it. It's still there. It's in us. But it, it's it's part of the challenge when you're on the Irish team. It's, you know, wanting to raise above that. And I think this year, it's really teeing up to that because the English are just, they're really getting the team together. They, they have a huge list of injuries, but they're still... They've got a 1-15 to 15 that is really, really strong and there's no obvious weak points. And we all know that Ireland under Joe Smith are putting together game plans that win games and he's changing the game plan. He's going to that this game plan to beat that team and, and he moves on as it goes. So it's very much going to be, you know, see what's going to come up. But it, it, both those teams have to hit the ground run because as Kaza says, whoever gets the nose in front will be hard bet. Two wins from two for both teams, uh, Martin. But what have you made of England's performances so far? Yeah, I think. Look, I've got to admit, going um, when I was driving over the Seven Bridge for our first game against Wales, I wasn't overly hopeful. Because, you know, Munch says that we've had, you know, we've got an injury list as long as as long as our arm, um, and it's not just the injury list. It's you know, there's a couple of key individuals who were missing. Most notably, I thought was going to be Manu Tuolangi at 13, and then so we've we've stumbled across um, this centre pairing and. Uh, you know, and to see, you know, and that's moved away from, typically the England style has been um, the ball playmaker at 12 and the big guy into a at, at 13. And 
we've had to change that around just because of personnel with um, Bowen and Joseph. And Joseph at 13 has just been, it's been a revelation for us. And uh, he just adds a very different dimension. And it actually changes the way we attack. And his combination with Ford, it works well at Bath. But there's one thing playing well for your club and there's another thing playing well at international level. But they just seem to have this, uh, you know, it's almost a no fear of youth and they're going out and they're playing and they're playing great and it, but it'd be really interesting look so at the moment you know we had a surprise win against against Wales and then we had Italy so let's not get too far ahead of ourselves we haven't um, we need to have this consistency of results and you know I'm looking ahead to this weekend's game and it'll be really interesting to see you know just what and how Joe Schmidt and the Irish team look to come back and look to play against uh, 12 and 13. Because Munch, you know, he's got it absolutely right. I think Schmidt is really astute and just saying, right, then let's start to have a look. Let's have a look at this. And, um, and, they, and they look to pick up holes which other, other coaches don't seem to find. What about uh, Jamie Heaslip? He's missing for Ireland, Shane. Yeah. How big a loss is that? Well, it, it, listen, it, it is a big loss. We we don't know what he's going to do, who we'll put in, Jordy, or is it going to be Sean O'Brien back at eight? Sean O'Brien doesn't mind either way, you know, and it is a blow. There's, he is such a stalwart to the team. It's just kind of, once he's on the pitch, there's just a whole section of the game you just don't have to worry about. You know what I mean? He just he just does his job. He You know, if there's other ball carriers on the pitch, he doesn't need to carry the ball. He'll just do enormous work rate. His stats are huge through the game. So, look, as as a man, he will be missed. There's no doubt about that. The leaders, we have the leaders there already. The experience is there. But just, you know, from what he brings to the game. But I think, uh, because I got it dead right there, the centre partnership, I don't think Ireland have found that just yet. I think, listen, Payne Henshaw, they're great guys, but defensively brilliant. And, And that's one thing, that Ireland are very hard to beat now. You know, I mean, they're very hard to score against and, and, you know, to rack up a score against. But they England have stumbled across this fantastic centre partnership with, with there's flair back there. And we haven't seen that in so long with England. It's It's been trucking up physicality, you know, but now they've got this and they're revelling in it. They really are. So it is going to be something to keep an eye on. Something I'll put to you both. Do you think Ireland can stop that partnership, Martin? Because against Wales and Italy, uh, maybe... They were maybe caught by surprise and we've all seen with Joe Schmidt during his time in charge of Ireland and Leinster before that and when he was with Claremont. He is just the master at putting a game plan together and not only getting his own team going but stopping the opposition and identifying their weaknesses or even identifying their strengths and stopping them. Yeah, well, you know, you say that, you know, and I do think, you know, we had, um, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot put on last year, I think, with, um, with putting the ball behind Jack Knoll, our winger, and the way he came back and tracked, he just negated their game plan. So, you know, I think, one, there's always, um, it, you need to have, yes, you need to have a game plan, but you, it's the way you execute it. And, and also, as well, you've got to remember that whatever analysis Ireland are doing on England, England doing that same analysis on themselves as well, and they're looking to, and they're looking at ways as well. So, you know, it is, at the moment, things are, albeit against, uh, you know, fortunately, not fortunately, but, um, you know, against Wales, which was fairly surprisingly, but also, and against Italy. So we're not, we're not going to get ahead of ourselves. This pairing, this midfield pairing that we've got, it's, this is another, it's another test for them because as yet they are unproven. So 
you know, in terms of challenges which lay ahead, especially leading up to this World Cup, I don't think they're, they're not going to come much tougher and you're not going to come under more scrutiny than you are um, against Ireland in Dublin. And just to ask you about Jamie Heaslip, um, were you jumping for joy when you heard he was out? Oh, look, I... You know, I, I <laughs> Tell I mean, the truth. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've got... You know, I've got huge respect for the huge respect for the guy. But you know, and but what I think with Ireland, you know, I always look at injuries and say, right, then how? You know, you, you're missing, you're going to be missing a, a huge, a huge guy and a huge talisman as well. But in terms of in terms of the guys you got coming back, you know, Sean O'Brien's then going to fit in. George, you know, it's it's how much you have to drop to the replacement. And being honest, as much as great as a guy as as Heaslip is. The replacements you've got who could who could fill that role are still pretty good. So, so yes, it's a loss, but I don't think it's I don't think it's going to have a massive bearing on the result of this game. What about Johnny Sexton, George Ford? And there's a nice symmetry about George yeah. Ford coming to play in Dublin with his dad Mike, having previously been involved with Ireland. Uh, there's a nice symmetry there. But anyway, he says that you know it's not just about stopping Johnny Sexton, yeah. Shane. But if they do stop Johnny Sexton, or if Johnny Sexton has an off day, which is yeah. such a rarity, it really does give England a chance, doesn't it? Yeah, as I said at the start, I, I honestly do think both these sides need to be in top form if they want to win this game. I think if either side shows any weakness, the other side has more than enough firepower to exploit it. And uh, that's where the, the scrum hasn't been going brilliantly for Ireland. That's something that needs to be worked on and England will certainly be targeting that. We all remember the couple of years back, what the way it, it completely collapsed. That's not going to happen. But, you know, any weakness, you know, that's what it's all about. It's going to come down to the minute, really evenly matched sides. And you said at the start, you know, this could be a championship decider. Look, at that's the way it is shaping up. It is looking like that is what the story is. These are the two heavyweights in the Six Nations at the moment. And um, either one that, that flinches first. Look, Johnny Sexton, we all know, is so important to everything that Ireland does. And that's why, you know, not fast track, but he was put straight back in, which is unusual enough. And, you know, he had such a cracking game. And it was all just reminded, like, oh, yeah, listen, that's why... He's so good when he's wearing that green jersey. If he's not there, yeah, we're not the same. That's just the way it is. We're not the same side. But I think he's up for it. I don't think his form really drastically dips. We've only seen it maybe once or twice in his whole career. And, um, you know, I would expect him to be firing. I expect uh, young Ford, which is fantastic, as you're saying. Like, we all know his dad well from yeah. coaching us for years. But uh, he's a fantastic talent and he's really getting that back line moving. So it's going to be a ding-dong battle. It is going to be some battle as well. Is the scrum something that England will look to capitalise on, Martin? Shane was just talking about it there. Yeah, we're not going to hide from that. Yeah, I think it's a, it's the platform. And you know, if we go back to, to the Wales game for our first game and you know, we were under the cosh for, for the first 10, 15 minutes, we went, went 10-0 ten, ten down. I was, I was watching the game, and you just thought, you know what, you know, the, the scrum was strong, and and the first two scrums we had, it, we got two penalties for it, and you just thought, okay, this is the foundation for which this game can, you know, we can start getting the footing in the game, and I think that's absolutely where we are. Yes, we want to be playing this this fast ball in hand game, but it all starts with a foundation and. And unquestionably, our, our foundation is always, is always our set piece. And, and I think what's leading our set piece is the scrum, without doubt. 
You're listening to the Rewind podcast on News Talk. We've got Martin Corey, formerly of England, on the phone, and Shane Byrne, formerly of Ireland, with us in studio. Gentlemen, we'll get your predictions on the game in just a moment. But first, um, Shane Martin was talking about coming over to Dublin and being buttered up and getting a welcoming. <laughs> but it was all ahead of getting a kicking. You're planning to do the same to the poor man yeah. this uh, weekend in Donnybrook. Tell us the detail. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, every year this fixture we play a Legends game the day before. So it's on the Saturday in Donningbrook at half seven. Um, and we've been doing it now. How many years is it causing now? Too many months. Yeah, exactly. We've been retired for quite a while. And uh, listen, it's, it's all for charity. We've raised over €600,000 uh, with this event over the last couple of years. And it going to the injured players or on this side. And, you know, it's just basically anyone who you've cheered for or against in the England case yeah. uh, will be there on the pitch and Cousins will be playing I'm playing you know you've Nick Popwell you've a huge span of people Peter Clossie's even put the boots back on <laughs> and, watch uh, your head there Martin yeah. <laughs> and like the, the thing is, is as Cousins will tell you now in a sec you know, look, we're not quite as sprightly as we used to be. The girls are, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're probably thinner now than you were when you were playing. <laughs> but uh, the the game is played full on. It's it's full intensity, yeah. but there's great spirit. Anybody who's been there before over the last couple of years would tell you it is a great day out. So come on down, Ticketmaster, or you can for the tickets they're dead cheap. Or rock up on the night and just come down and have a bit of fun. And Tony Brooks, a fantastic stadium. Martin, obviously you guys are competitive animals. It's it's how you became professional athletes. So does that instinct kind of turn on in the moments before the game, even though you know the mind might be ready for that, but the body mightn't be quite what it was? Uh, you know what, look, it is. It becomes the most frustrating thing because you all have an a, you know, so as soon as we land, we meet up with the with the Irish guys and we have and it, and it is. We just have we just have a great laugh from the moment we step. But then you go into as soon as you arrive at Donnybrook, you go into your own changing room. You have a little loose warm up in, in terms of getting the muscles going. It takes a little bit longer than it used to. But then, and then it's, as soon as as soon as you run out on the pitch, because Donnybrook for so for me that was that was where it all started for me playing um, in the old eight, and that's where the idea really came from. The old eighteen fixtures yeah. on the Friday night before for the internationals on the Saturday and it was and so so special and you do run out and yeah the mind does go back unfortunately the body can't go back and it's um, so as mine says look we we give it our best shot it's um, whoever for those turning up please don't please don't judge our performance on, on Saturday night as uh you know, and uh, let that tar previous performances in Ireland because it's uh, you know it's not quite there but you know what, we, we give it a damn good go. Well, yes, you boys are going through the pain barrier for charity and it's on Saturday night, what time in Donnybrook? Saturday night, half seven in Donnybrook. Half seven, and all the uh, money raised is going to the injured players funds. Everything, right? yeah, on the Irish side and on the English side, they, they have an all school which is spreading rugby around to underage school or underprivileged schools and things like that, so. Okay, two more questions before I let you go. Before your predictions, Martin, I'll ask you first, what's your standout memory, good or bad, of playing Ireland over the years? Unfortunately, um, there's so many. Um, the one which immediately comes to mind is is um, is the bad one at uh, for me at Croke Park. The the one which was um, uh, you know we went there. Everything so much was built from the game, and we wanted to go out there and put in put in the best performance we possibly could and do the whole occasion proud. And 
and unfortunately we played like turkeys. So that's the um, <laughs> what an so event. That's the one which 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 really gets me. You know, thankfully there are some good ones, but as soon as you ask the question, unfortunately that was the first one which sprung to mind. It's a standout occasion for Ireland, and I don't just mean in Irish sport because no, no, it meant so can't. much. And I think England, the players, got that as well as Martin has alluded to. Shane, what, are you, what what's your standout memory of being involved? Uh, against yeah, we England? all we all remember that. Obviously, that Croke Park. The, they, I think, the nation grew up that day. It was absolutely fantastic to see, and Cosa played a, a vital role in that. For me personally, as a player, I suppose um, the two thousand and four game when uh, England were world champions and uh, it was their welcome back and we spoiled their party in Twickenham. <laughs> that was enjoyable, yeah. Listen, and but the year before, they kicked our butt completely when they were going for the Grand Slam and running into the World Cup. So those two games in particular always stick in the head. OK, finally, predictions, Shane. I'll allow you to go first. Yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I honestly do think, I, I don't think Ireland are... They're a hard team to beat. I don't think we're scoring too many tries at the moment, so I think it'll be a one-score game. But uh, I definitely think it'll be Ireland. I, I think it could actually come down to something as basic as home advantage. Crowd, as Costa said, it really does have an effect and the crowd just do bring something special to a game like that. Martin? Yeah, surprisingly, I'm going to disagree, but thankfully, because I, <laughs> uh, I have the last word, it's always, the last word is always the true word. And, um, you know, so going back to what I said, you know, I, I think... We're going to get this foundation, and I think that's going to be able to launch our game plan. It is about stopping Ireland in the first 20 minutes, and I feel we've got, we'll have the defensive coordination and patterns to be able to do that. And uh, and I think slowly then we'll start exerting our authority on the game, led by the led by the scrum and the lineout. So uh, you know it will be close, and um, but I, I reckon, and I think we will see some points as well because we've got to go out yeah. and attack as well. So you know, you know, I, I reckon we'll. I reckon it's, it's England and about 25-18. OK, Martin, Corey and Shane Byrne, thanks for joining us on the Rewind podcast. Gentlemen, I really do hope my voice is back for the weekend so I can <laughs> scream at you both on Saturday night in Donnybrook. <laughs> all right, take care. This is the Rewind podcast on News Talk and we're all very excited about Ireland's clash with England this Sunday at the Aviva. Don't forget Off The Ball special show this Wednesday night with guest presenter Brian O'Driscoll along with Neil Back, Andrew Trimble, Kevin Maggs and Keith Wood among others. GA now though and you may have heard Aaron Kernan made a swap for the fields of Cross McGlen Rangers for the training pitch with Sunderland in the last few days as part of a documentary to be shown next month. We spoke to him in depth about that last week on the website newstalk.com forward slash sport but while he was here we asked him about the GA calendar the All-Ireland Club final between Shock Neil and Curra Finn and how football could be improved. But first, Kernan talked to Ushin about his recent retirement from inter-county football. I don't think that you can't have a job and play inter-county football. To be self-employed and to be in the game that I'm in where a lot of people want to view properties in the evening for both sale, renting and that there, if I was really trying to progress my business and it was me that was driving it, it meant me being more hands-on. So uh, definitely I think that you can balance your life between being a successful person off the field and a GEA player. But the fact that self-employment and that, I think it just adds a wee bit more pressure. And um, my own personal circumstances, obviously I had a young family and I just felt that this was maybe something that I wanted to devote more time. Now, this is coming for a few years. It just isn't. I didn't just decide over two or three months. That's it. I want to, I want to work more. I just sort of seen the opportunity of the um, the climate regarding yeah. property and that there starting to slowly change back again and it was getting busier and there was an opportunity there to really go and try and make a name for myself on that front. So 
I felt yeah something had to be sacrificed and it was at the county football is it a thing that it's, it's, it's actually not that difficult for you now but if Armagh were to go on and win Ulster or maybe even win the All-Ireland I know that's a stretch would, would that hurt you would that, would that be something that would stick in your crawl and, and I know you want the lads to win obviously and you want your county to win but, but the point is that you've just retired and you'd miss out on that and that 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 could hurt, especially since you are still a very young man, as we mentioned. Yeah, you you would like that's it's only natural. Um, you know, I, there's no way I could turn around and sit here and say that I wouldn't be envious of Armagh going to win an All Ireland in the third Sunday September. Of course, you'd probably be turning it in your head so many times saying what if, but reality is I've made this choice now, and I had my reasons for making it, and it's stuff that I felt had to become more important in my life. So. I think I'm just going to need to try and bring my mind back to, to now, yeah. um, so to speak, if if that does happen. Would I love to say it? Absolutely. My brother still plays, so I'm, some of my best friends still play for Armagh, and I'm, I'm an Armagh supporter now as it is. So, yeah, of course, like they're setting out to win the National League Division 3, to win the Ulster, to win the All-Ireland. That's their ultimate goals. I'd love to see them do it, but would I be envious come September? Absolutely. Yeah, you would, surely. Now, the All-Ireland Club semi-finals were on the weekend before last. Uh, Schlott Neil got a win against Austin Stacks. What an encounter that was in Port Leash. And Curra Finn outclass St Vincent's. Uh, firstly, is it strange for you as a Cross McGlynn man not to be looking forward to a day out in uh, Crow Park on St Patrick's Day? Yeah, the unfortunate thing is it's we've maybe just become used to it now because it's, it's three years since we were there on uh, St Patrick's Day. But I have to say... I really enjoyed the games at the weekend because for me, I'm very passionate obviously about the the All-Ireland Club because I know what it's like to get that far. I know what it's like to win and I know the joy that's going on in, in Slotneil and in Corfin this week and just the whole buzz in their communities looking forward to, to all heading to Crow Park on the big day. So again, you're envious. Of course you're envious because that's a stage that we want to get ourselves back to but we know at the moment if you're looking the other day like the fitness levels, the commitment, the skill levels, the um, the how both teams set themselves up in, in either of the games. Like I thought, the the quality on show was top class, and that's where club championships have now got to. Um, I know people think there's a big difference between club football and intercounty football. Once you hit that All Ireland uh, stage, the quality is top class, and I know that for a fact because I've been I've been involved in it in a lot of big games. Is it a bit more pure? And I'll clarify that statement. What I mean is, at the Cardiff St Vincent's game, yeah, there were tactics, but it was a free flowing attacking game of football. Schlott Neil and Cross, Schlott Neil, I beg your pardon, and Austin Stacks maybe a little bit the same. Yeah, for me, the most pleasing thing was. You could have, if you're a Cora fan and you're sitting all over Christmas, it's very easy for them to go into their shell and start pulling a few forwards back, play with a couple extra sweepers, try their best to nullify German Connolly, Mossy Quinn, you know, playing the All-Ireland Champions. But they went out and after, the first thing I noticed was 40 seconds into the game, St Vincent's had a kick out and the keeper hit it short. And as soon as he kicked it to the full back, pressure was on him he fisted the cornerback pressure was on him he fisted it back to the fullback pressure was still on him and they had to clear their lanes and for me that was them saying we're going to hunt you down all over the field you could just see the hunger in them straight away and they played that way throughout from a St Vincent point of view I've been in their shoes as well and as much as you want it and as badly as you want it and you can they're probably still train as hard this year as what they did before but the great thing about the club championship is someone always comes that bit hungrier looking to clean your clock and that's basically just what happened they met 
they made a hungrier version of themselves and the quality of football the Corfin played it was it was brilliant to look at what's your prediction for the final as an Ulster man obviously yeah mm. you're going to want to see the All-Ireland club coming back to I thought you all hated each other up there. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> you're going I, against the stereotype here yeah, well, I, I joke of course I, I, act, I actually um, my honeymoon in Australia I ended yeah. up I bumped into two of the slot nail players Paul and Patsy Bradley and I spent a, a month with them and I've remained quite close to them so yeah. um, they actually come down to, to our club after we'd won an Ulster and they were in Croke Park for right. us winning an All-Ireland club after that so um, yeah I, as far as I'm concerned it's their turn and it's their time now and I'd love to see them do it I think they're really going to be up against it because I've said that's the first time I've seen Carfin and I was really, really impressed with them. Car- or Slot Neil now missing Christopher Bradley, which looks like with a, a broken collarbone, like he got four points in play the other day. Mm. He got four points in play in the Ulster final. He's a super young footballer. He's their, their main focal point in the forward lane. So that's going to be a big blow to him. But the one thing about Slot Neil is they never know whenever they're beaten. They just won't lay down, regardless of how good or how bad the day is going for them. The one thing you can be guaranteed is that they will hunt it down until the final minute. Would you be sad to see? the All-Ireland Club final moved from St. Patrick's Day to the same calendar year as the Provincial Championships as in the Ulster Championship. There's talk of, of doing that at the moment. Yeah, I know within our own club a lot of people love the St. Patrick's Day feel about it but I, I think it's the bigger picture is it has to come into a calendar year. You can't keep going like Jeremy Connolly and Jerry Brennan now if they're turning around having to go back to Dublin training this week to you know they're really disappointed after losing their All-Ireland crown to semi-final. Dublin's maybe still stuck in the middle of a bit of pre-season training, a bit of heavy running. Like Your your mind might say, yeah, I want to go and get back into that, but you just really need to switch off. You need to get away from it. You need to clear your head. It's very hard to constantly keep going. And personally, thankfully, I was lucky enough to have that opportunity, but I know how hard it is. Mm. And I do think it needs to go into the calendar year. And... St Patrick's Day is probably going to have to be sacrificed for that but I also think the third Sunday in September is going to have to be sacrificed that it's going to have to be moved forward in order to give a better balance between inter-county and club football what's the exact layout of it and how is it going to work I don't know the powers to be will have to figure that one out but I do think for the greater good of GAA because it's progressed so much at all levels yeah. and the opportunity to play in Croke Park for your junior and intermediate football and hurling teams like that's that's one of the biggest um, improvements this past 10 years within GA. but I definitely think a, a, a calendar where everybody knows for one month at least we're off there's nothing happening you're guaranteed we can go on holidays we can go on trips take a break whatever it is um, I think it's it's very important What was the biggest difficulty for you going back into Armagh late in the season having gone all the way to St Patrick's Day or was it more difficult for the management and the teammates the guys who weren't involved with Cross McLean. It, it was both because from our point of view you sort of feel a wee bit like a fraud you're coming in for literally just the last one maybe two league games and you just feel a bit left out from them boys in fairness would have probably started training in November done an awful lot of tough training maybe come through a tough league campaign whenever we didn't have a full team and they might not get a chance to express themselves or perform as well as they want the next thing you're coming back and you're automatically trying to get a place without really earning it and that's tough because personally well we want to help our man you want to help cross but the reality is you can't do the two at the one time so that was tough and then from from the players point of view they've just trained their guts out 
and then they have the risk well I'm after doing something for six months here and this man could come back and take my place within a week so there's that it's tough to get over that there generally within a week or two you know the camaraderie kicks back in and that but for the first while yeah you definitely have to feel your way back into the environment as much as everyone wants it to go well it just takes a wee while for you to bed back in again and tactics could be different um, nothing's always the same so definitely it takes a while to bed back in just before I let you go, you're now a GA pundit with Satanta. They've got some great co- people on their uh, GA coverage. Um, but I wanted to put a couple of things to you to see what you think of them as a very recently retired inter-county footballer, but a guy who still plays to a very high level. I read these um, points in the Irish Examiner the other day. It was written by John Fogarty about improving football. So the first one is ban the fisted point. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's, I've heard that one going on for a while and I think it just maybe makes the game a bit more risky that you know instead of taking the easy option you might have a go at a goal uh, and a point it'd be one of the lesser ones that I would change I would have to say it it doesn't it doesn't bug me as much as some other stuff get rid of football's pickup Mick O'Dwyer has been talking about this for many years yeah it definitely it'll speed up the game and that's that's for sure give the tackle a proper definition yeah again it would lead to no grey areas but what is that exactly you would need to sit down and examine it and be very clear about it um, but if there was one specific thing that if you did anything else I'd say that it's a free um, yeah definitely it's going to make the, the game easier for both players and referees one would say there's 50 shades of grey area anyway <laughs> extend the scope of the black card um, yeah I, I think the the unfortunate thing about the black card was that straight away people were thinking of cynical ways that you could use it where the whole essence of it was to try and get away from cynicism so yeah they probably can extend it uh, a slight bit my big thing is uh, it's how people are coached um, how you're coached to tackle how you're coached to play the game um, do you know I, I think maybe sometimes you try to complicate it too much and we've got away from what the actual the basics of Gaelic football are and um, how we execute them and I think that's the, the biggest thing and that really comes down to who you're managing who your coaches are that maybe getting the foot pass more into games is the way I'd like to see it played and trying to maybe go man to man again but again everyone has their own idea and tactics and how they want to see it played Aaron Kernan thanks for dropping in to talk to us when can we check out the TV show? It was on my Monday the 9th of March at 10pm on TV3 this is the Rewind on News Talk and that was Aaron Curran talking football with Ushin. Back now to the Champions League. Raftiello from Team 33 joins us. Two games in the Champions League Tuesday, second round and two on Wednesday as well. We'll start on one of those Tuesday games. It's Manchester City versus Barcelona. Going into this game before Christmas, I suppose a lot of people wouldn't have given Manchester City hope but they've found renewed form in the Premier League and Barca's preparations for this one haven't been ideal either. Yeah, they lost 1-0 to Malaga at home which was unexpected because they had been on, I think it was an 11-game winning run and... You know, they started to see the buds of a relationship between Messi, Neymar, and Suarez actually coming to fruition, or fruition, or however you pronounce that word. But at the end of the day, like you looked at Man City as well on Saturday evening, and then they thumped Newcastle five 0 But again, Newcastle not really playing for anything, so it's hard to maybe gauge something. But given having said that, it was very, very impressive. David Silva was top of his game. Yaya Toure is back just in time, but unfortunately he is suspended and cannot play against Barcelona. Mm. So that's a bit of an issue. Also, I suppose this time last year they were actually playing each other at the same stage and you've got to look at it. How does City approach it this time? Because they were very conservative last time and they're a type of team that would like to get their foot on the ball, pass it around and 
I suppose the issue is you can't always do that against Barcelona because Barcelona tend to do that and they do it better. It's uh, it's a hard one to call, I think, in the first leg. I would say it won't be that high scoring. I think it'll be very, very tight. I expect City to be quite cagey again, uh, particularly seeing as they don't have Toure available to them. So I'm just wondering how are they going to set up? Are they going to play, you know? Yeah, I was just going to ask, would a draw be, would, would be pretty satisfactory for, for Pellegrini in this one? It would be, because then you can go away from home. Like, say, if you draw nil-nil, you can go away to the new camp. Barcelona aren't exactly the team they were three or four years ago, so there will probably be a bit of nervousness from their side, even though they don't concede a lot of goals anymore. And, uh, yeah, it make, it just makes it very, very hard to gauge. Um, but I think, yeah, a draw would be a very, very good result or a very tight win. Um, but the thing they just need to be careful of is not to give away an away goal because, obviously, we know exactly what Barcelona have up front in Messi, Neymar and Suarez, even if only two of those three start. Juve and Dortmund. This is a strange one because a lot of people would look at Dortmund who've struggled in the Bundesliga this year. They're kind of picking up yeah. a bit of form there now. But they breezed through the group stages in the Champions League and they had a tough group. They had Arsenal, they had Anderlecht, Galatasaray in there as well. They topped that group. Uh, they now are away to Juventus and a match that kind of rekindles memories of yeah, several mid yeah. Well, 97 and I suppose a couple of years before that as well. I, I would struggle to call this one myself just given the disparity between the league form and, and yeah, the form I of the think Champions League the, yeah, as you said they are picking up form in the Bundesliga but I think the issue and what has been said by German pundits and those that kind of keep a close eye on it it's the fact that Jurgen Klopp has a style of play that he has always stuck to it's high pressing counter attacking and I suppose if you're doing that every year for three or four years you're going to eventually be found out to an extent and opposition teams will work you out um, I don't think that's happening at the same extent in Europe. It's a it's a different ballpark. You're not playing these teams every week, and even though you might scout them, it takes you know, like if you're Mainz, say one of the German teams, you're playing Dortmund twice a year mm. um, for whatever three or four years. So you're going to pick up the patterns of play. Not the same in Europe. And I and the thing with Juventus as well, like over there they dominate in Italy, unfortunately, and that's just a bit of bias coming true. But you know. Um, they, although they have been dominant there in Europe they've never really done it I'm, it's hard to kind of gauge why it's almost the flip reverse of what's happening with Dortmund yeah. great in Europe and not great at home and it's the same with Juventus I mean they weren't exactly great in the group stages either but as you said it's so so hard to call because of that disparity between the two you know the two sides of form but having said that they do have Pirlo they do have Pogba who is you know he's been scoring some fantastic goals this it's season. their midfield who seems to be their the deciding factor for them yeah, yeah. and up front, they do have Tevez, who has been scoring regularly in Serie A this year. So they do have the weapons. It's just, are they? Do they have the game to play in Europe? Are they ready for it? It's hard to. It's hard to guess. I think in that Turin Stadium, though, it's going to be or the Juventus Stadium is going to be a fantastic atmosphere for that one. That's uh, on Tuesday and on Wednesday. Arsenal, who have had woeful draws in the knockout stages of the Champions League, kind of have a fairly decent one this time around. Monaco visit the Emirates. Yeah, it's a kind of a homecoming of a sense for Arsene Wenger, who obviously managed them mm. before he went to Japan and then before, before he, he gave went, up the smokes as well. Before he gave up the smokes, yeah. So he shouldn't be giving out to Jack Wilshere, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's not. I don't think it's going to be as it's not going to be a walkover. I don't think because you look at Monaco's record in league and and very recently they went. I think it was a thirteen hours without conceding a goal. It was mm. basically eight games without conceding, and uh, even this weekend they beat Nice away from home uh, without conceding a goal again. They're 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 not going to concede a lot of goals. I don't think even against Arsenal. Uh, but I suppose their issue is they don't score enough goals in the group stage. They only got four, which is uh, it's a worry. 
even though they top the group, it is a worry. Yeah. You know that uh, even given the fact that Arsenal's Arsenal's defense can be got at. But again, you look even at in league, uh, who's the guy who scores for them? Dimitar Berbatov, who's only got six goals in the league and then one in the League Cup. I don't. I think it's going to be quite tight. But I just, I just think Arsenal have too many weapons for them. It'll be maybe two nil on aggregate or something like that. But uh, yeah, they're going to be quite defensive. I think in this first leg, and it's kind of set up though for uh, the ex Spurs man to make a difference there at the Emirates and indeed over at the Stade Louis Duh. Elsewhere, the other tie this week. Uh, sees one of the surprise packages of this season's competition, Bar Leverkusen. They're taking on Atletico Madrid, beating finalists, of course, last year. Atletico, some might say, not the side they were last year. No, but I can yeah. see them progressing further, probably towards the semi-finals of this year's competition. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, as Graham Hunter's been saying on off the ball, the you look at their disciplinary record, and they have as many yellow cards and red cards or something. I think as they had for the whole last season already mm. at this point. So discipline's an issue, um, but still. You know, you look at someone like Antoine Griezmann, who's scoring a lot of goals for them. He's made a slow start for Atletico, but um, again scored at the weekend uh, when they won. And they're still look, they're not the, they're not the team they were last year, but they're not that far off. They're you know, okay, they don't have Costa, but they brought in Mandzukic, so there is you know, this is still a decent level. And Leverkusen are, I think they're they're still battling for a uh, you know the top four place in the Bundesliga, but I don't see them kind of progressing much much further. I think Atletico have the experience from last year; they know how to get through these situations, and they should do it. Very good. They promise to be all fairly tight affairs. I'd imagine all four across the board this week. Raftiallo from Team Thirty Three, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week. We're back next Monday with an in-depth review of Ireland's Six Nations clash with England as well as the Premier League and the return of the Allianz Football League. Also this week, we'll be following the Irish cricketers at the World Cup, so stay tuned to News Talk for that. And remember, you can contact us at any stage on Monday Rewind at Newstalk.com. Until next week, take care. The Monday Rewind. Scoreless on off the ball between Southampton and Liverpool. Coutinho, 25 yards! Oh! What a goal from Billy Coutinho! 30 yards out, right-footed, top corner of the net. At the moment, I fancy Chelsea because of what has happened to City, but I would never put City out of the equation because I knew these players were coming back from injury, sorry, to get fit, and then once they get fit, then that's when you've got to judge them as a team. I let you decide on that, I don't talk about referees if you know yourselves, so I mean, obviously it had a huge bearing in the game. All I know is there's nobody hurt, that's all I know, and um, I don't know why he was sent off. There's no point having excuses. We were poor tonight, we weren't good enough tonight, and um, we're certainly going to have to address that in a big way. It's not going to be this fantastic game on the on the eye against England. It never is. It's an arm wrestle against England. They're, they're really you know closely fought contests against England last year one try apiece more often than not if we have beaten England it's by one score